Awesome. You ready to get in the Word? All right, let's do it. So we are in week three of a series called... Are you serious? Oh, wait, you guys only come once a month. That's right. So I'll catch you. Oh, don't beat the sheep. Don't beat the sheep. That's what Pastor Mike always tells me. Okay. Um, yeah, that's okay. Uh, so we're in a... a um, a series that'll take us into mid-December called Faith Foundations. Um, and really the Lord impressed upon my heart in this kind of new season for our church. Um, and honestly, as an exercise for me um, as pastor to re-inspect the foundations. It's hard to know what you can build if you don't know what you're building on. Uh, and so I want... And, and I believe that's a word for all of us to really reinspect the foundations of our faith and the foundations of our church. Um, this is the Lord's church. It's it's He is the one that planted it. He's the shepherd of the church. And um, as long as there is breath in me and breath in us, it's still going to be His church until He returns. Um, so on the first week, we looked at the nature and the power of God's word and our relationship. To God's word through the parable of the soils um, and recognizing that the word is the same. It's alive, it's active, it's powerful, but the condition of the soil or the condition of our heart in which the word is planted varies and it varies in different seasons and in different ways. And we want to have good soil that the word can go in and bear much fruit in our lives. And last week we looked at the new birth um, I the astonishing promise that God would translate us from darkness to light, that he would literally strip off and separate us completely from our old nature and give us a new nature, that we are new creations, and that those new that we as new creations can be in the presence of God and receive the fullness of every promise that he's given in Christ Jesus, that we are truly children of the light, children of the kingdom, and that we can see and taste, we can taste and see and know that God is good and that we can see his kingdom grow and expand forever. And we can, uh, we got, you got to see me sing and dance a little bit last week just because I get really excited about the new birth. And today, uh, I'm going to endeavor um, to, to talk about a subject that gets preachers into trouble. Um, we're going to look today... <laughs> ...at baptism. <laughs> baptism has split the church. It has split local churches. It's split denominations. Uh, people have gone to war with each other and hit each other and argued with one another. I mean, it's been a, it's, it's been a difficult doctrine through the ages. Um, and so I'm going to attempt um, to go into the Word. We're going to go into the Word together and look at some of what Scripture has to say about baptism. Uh, and I don't come necessarily this morning uh, only as a teacher. I come as a student. Um, a student of the word, and I'm just encourage you to open your heart to the word and allow the Holy Spirit to make this word alive for you this morning. This is a person on a what? A roller coaster. Well, God's people throughout the Old Testament or through the first 
several thousand years um, of the children of Israel prior to the time of Jesus, um, the Old Testament um, children of God kind of lived a life that was an endless series of roller coasters, roller coaster living. They would go through these endless cycles of they'd live obedient for a while, then they would backslide, then they'd get into bondage, and they'd eventually repent, rinse and repeat. They'd go over here, they'd live obedient for a while, they would backslide, they would get into bondage, and then they would eventually, painstakingly repent, only to see this cycle go over and over and over Again, the cycle gave birth to the law, which couldn't be kept. We couldn't keep the law. It gave birth to the prophets who spoke on the Lord's behalf, but we didn't do a good job hearing them or following them. It gave birth to kings who had different levels of character, and we didn't really follow those either. And it gave birth to judges that couldn't be trusted until really every avenue of human governance and human effort was exhausted. But really, God was not after instituting other systems of government. It was his government that he was after. He wanted to be the God of his people. We are his people. He is our God. And there was really no hope but a savior, a savior who would reform give us a new nature like we talked about last week. He would reform us so that he could refill us. That promise to reform and refill, form being like um, we're the tent of the Holy Spirit. That's, that is the, 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 we're in the church age. The church age, we are a living tabernacle, a living dwelling place in which God has put his spirit. Like Jesus, as Jesus was, In the earth, when he walked the earth, he was a temple, a clean temple, a tent, a form, and God put his spirit in him. He could walk. He was a a filled believer, or not a believer, but he was a a filled temple. And in the age of the church, we are a living tent or a living temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has filled the church or the body of Christ. We are in the world as he is. That's, that's, what, um, that's what scripture says. And the prophet Ezekiel, um, 600 years before the church age, prophesied about this age. And he said, the Lord said through the prophet Ezekiel, he said, the Lord said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take away your stony heart and I will give you a heart of flesh And then I will put my spirit within you and cause or empower you to walk in my ways. You shall keep my commands and do them. Or literally that word means to become them. This is not just poetry. It's not just a nice idea that we've been given a new heart and a new spirit like a new attitude, right? We've been given a new heart of flesh. We've been born again. We've been made a new form so that He can put his spirit in us so that the fellowship that the Trinity has, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? That unbroken fellowship where God exists in joyful relationship, that we can enjoy that relationship with him and with one another. It's by his spirit. 
Are you with me so far? Okay, are you with me? Okay. Um, Jesus also illustrated this promise of form and fill in his life and teachings. He said, you might recall these. He says, you'll be like new vessels and I will fill you with living water. You will be like new wineskins and I will fill you with new wine. You will be like new lamps and I will fill you with priceless oil. You will be like new lampstands and I will fill you with fire. You will be a new dwelling and I will fill you with the Spirit's presence. You will be new creatures and I will fill you with the Spirit's breath or wind. You will have a new form, a form that we, the Godhead, the Trinity, that we can fill. Form and fill. Form and fill. This is the work of Christ in us. It's the work of God in the world. God formed the earth and filled it. Christ forms us as new creations so that he can fill us with his spirit. That's why even when the Lord instructed the prophet to prophesy to the bones right, the dry bones that were in the desert, this army that was dead. He asked the prophet, can these bones live? He said, first prophesy to the bones, the structure, the form, and then prophesy to the breath that would fill it. Form, fill. And you know, our, one of our problems today, one of my problems, is that we really understand more about the form than the fill. The form is our new birth, the new nature that we have been given. The form is complete. The form is lacking nothing. The form is perfect. The form is eternal. The form comes by the finished work of the cross, the resurrection that defeats death, and our complete salvation. Our new form is our ticket to heaven. Our new nature is prepared for the kingdom of God. Our new nature can be in the presence of God because it is without sin. Jesus has dispensed of sin and given us a new nature, a new form. And yet the form has a purpose in the earth and for eternity, a work, a ministry, an assignment, a mission that requires power. That's why we are filled. Many of you and have been formed, but I want to ask, and I want to stand with you and ask the Lord, have you been filled? Have we been filled? Have you been filled? You've been born again. You've been given a new heart. As Ezekiel prophesied, have you also received the new spirit that was promised? The early church wrestled with the same question. In uh, Acts chapter 6, you know, the early church had experienced explosive growth. I mean, after the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, which was the birth of the church age, the Holy Spirit was uh, poured out on the apostles, the believers, um, and that really, um, that started where thousands were added to their number daily. The scripture says multitudes upon multitudes believed in the name of the Lord Jesus and were added to their number. Um, There was signs and wonders, there were healings, there were, I mean, all the things you read about in the book of Acts that 
the church was exploding in growth. And the 12 apostles got together and they said, we need more people to help administrate or coordinate to do the work of the ministry. It's too much just for us um, to bear this burden. And so they selected seven believers who were well-respected and full of the spirit and wisdom. That's what Acts chapter 6 verse 3 says, to share the load of the exploding ministry of the new church. And these seven believers were chosen because they were full of the Spirit. Now, we're going to read about one of these seven. His name was Philip. And I, this is our, uh, our scripture passage for today, Acts chapter 8, verses 4 to 25. I know it's a, a long one, but I want to get the whole context of this passage. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 8, verses 4 to 25 starting in verse 4. But the believers who were sent out, these were these seven, preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria, that's where Samaritans live, the enemy of the Jews, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims, and many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now that verse has captivated my heart this week. There was great joy in that city. I want there to be great joy in this city, great joy. Do you hunger to see great joy come to this city? Joy was a response to the power that Philip walked in. Great joy. A man named Simon, this is not Simon Peter, but a man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one or the power of God. They listened closely to him because for a long time he had astounded them with his magic. But now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. And as a result, many men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself believed and was baptized. There's that word, baptism, we'll get there. He began following Philip wherever he went, and he was amazed by the signs and the great miracles that Philip performed. You know, whatever magic people do, whatever illusions people have, whatever they claim to be, Whatever amazement, the flavor of spiritualism and religious exercise and emotional experience, whatever those things offer, whatever they claim, when people see the real power, those things don't hold a candle. You know, these things masquerade like power, but the Holy Spirit is real power because it's the power of God. 
It's rooted in truth. And there is no weapon formed against it that can prosper. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that he wasn't in control anymore, that was, I'm preempting with my own commentary. When Simon saw that the cat was out of the bag, People didn't have to come for him for anything anymore. When Simon saw that his game was up, when Simon saw that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, was given when the apostles laid their hands on people, and how did he know? I just want to offer, it's probably because there was power going on. He offered Peter and John money to buy this power. (laughs) Let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter replied, may your money be destroyed with you for thinking God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this, for your heart is not right with God. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive your evil thoughts, for I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and are held captive by sin. Pray to the Lord for me, Simon exclaimed, that these terrible things you've said won't happen to me. We don't know what happened to Simon. So I'm not going to even try to speculate. But after testifying and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, and they stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way to preach the good news. There's a lot in this passage, but I want to draw out a few things that I observed. One is that people filled with the Holy Spirit move in power. You know, when there was great joy in that city, it was because... The darkness did not overcome. Darkness fled. Sickness fled. People received healings. People that were paralyzed from birth, they were stuck on stretchers, started walking around. There was great joy in the city. And and it took thousands of believers to, to, to bring this message to Samaria, right? That's, no. It was one believer, Philip. They were scattered. One Spirit-filled believer, one. One. And the whole city was overtaken with great joy. You know, there are probably four or 500 people that call Agape home. Is our city filled with great joy? I'm not saying that to judge anyone. I, I want the city to be filled with great joy for darkness to take a back seat. Two, that baptized believers in Jesus Christ later received the Holy Spirit. That they were formed 
that they were new creations. I don't know why Philip, who was full of the Spirit, didn't see the Holy Spirit fill these believers as they were born again at that time. But he sent message back and Peter and John came and they laid hands on these believers and they received the Holy Spirit. And we know they received the Holy Spirit because the folks that had all the magic and the power and they had kind of the system in place, they knew that the apple cart was overturned and the power was unleashed in the world, that people did not have to go to him anymore, that they had the power that came from the Lord. They had the power of God in their life, moving through their life. And three, the Holy Spirit, like salvation, is God's gift. It cannot be bought. It cannot be earned. The Holy Spirit is not a merit badge or a VIP club. It is a gift. It is free to all those who have been formed and are willing to receive. It is available The power is available, but the Holy Spirit is available today for you. So the word baptism, because baptism is referred to in this passage and many times in Scripture. You hear John's baptism and water baptism and baptism of repentance and baptism in the name of Jesus, baptism in the name of of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, baptism into death, baptism in the Holy Spirit, baptism of fire, baptism of suffering, baptism in the cloud, baptism in the sea. I want to say if baptism is used, that word is used in all these descriptions, it probably isn't just a religious checkbox, right? If it, if, if, The only thing that baptism means is the ceremony, the religious ceremony that we've been conditioned to see, then it couldn't be used in all of these contexts. Baptism is translated from the Greek word baptizo. Baptizo means to literally to immerse or to supersaturate, like you plunge a sponge into water and it comes out dripping and sopping wet, supersaturated. It means to place fully, to place into or to fully submerge and saturate, a process of immersion and emergence. Baptism is not a ceremony. Baptism describes a transformation process. There are two transformation processes in this passage. There is a baptism of repentance, which is referred to as the baptism in the name of Jesus. Philip preached the good news of the gospel, that Jesus is the son of God and the son of man, that he was, he was the spotless lamb, that he literally took all of the weight of sin on himself and he paid for it. He descended to hell and he took death captive. He was raised again and because he lives again, he was resurrected. We know there is new life for you. We know that there is new life for me. We know there is new life. They received that message. They received that message and that, that um, where, did, where did I go? Okay. They received, the, they received that message and repentance is the avenue that, or repentance is what led them through that transformation process. Um, I would say our baptism of repentance 
And repentance just means metanoia. It means to turn around and go the other way through the complete changing of one's heart and mind and internal transformation. Our baptism of repentance is the same as John the Baptist preached. Um, and John preached, he, looked, he was looking forward on what Jesus was about to do, and we are looking back on him on what Jesus has already accomplished. But baptism of repentance, or John's baptism, or baptism in the name of Jesus, or in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that baptism is a transformation process. Our repentance, our sorrow over sin leads us to the cross of Christ, into the grave of Christ. We are submerged in the death of Christ. And then miraculously, we are led by the mercy and power of God out of the grave, emergent as something new, cleansed, joyfully separated from the person before. The baptism in the name of Jesus or in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, like what the Great Commission says, is in under the authority of or in relationship to God. So that baptism, it's our repentance that leads us to this place to receive new birth, that we can be translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And yes, oftentimes we go through a water baptism or a water ceremony to demonstrate what God has done on the inside. It is this transformative, immersive process that brings us into new birth. So like um, water baptism like, is a symbol. It's an outward display of what God has done in us. Water baptism is the public testimony of a private reality. A ceremony of water baptism does not introduce a believing sinner into vital union with Jesus Christ. There's a couple times in scripture where it says, you know, you know baptizing unto salvation or baptism for salvation. And this is really the Greek word Ice or E-I-S, and it's better translated because of or on account of. We, are, we go through a water baptism to demonstrate to ourselves and to those around us what God has done on the inside. Jesus also chose to be water baptized as well. And I'd say, see how humbly Jesus walked as God before man. Coming to be baptized of John and fulfill all righteousness, thus he took upon him the likeness of sinful flesh that though he was perfectly pure and unspotted, he did not need any cleansing, he did not need any baptism, he did not need, he did not need anything like that, yet he was washed as if he had been polluted, and thus for our sakes he sanctified himself that we might also be sanctified and be baptized with him. Jesus was he, he went through with this ceremony to fulfill every aspect and every part of the law that was commanded, and then the Holy Spirit came upon him. He went through that ceremony to demonstrate that he truly was, even though he already was, completely clean. And that, are, are you with me so far? That the baptism in the name of Jesus or in um, the baptism of repentance, John's baptism, those are, we're, we're talking about being born again. We're talking about the transformation process of being translated from darkness to light and being a new creation. That is the form, our new form. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not necessarily, it's not going into the grave. It's not a submerging baptism and then we're emerged again. It's baptizo, more like an immersion. We're being saturated like a sponge into water, super saturated in the spirit. The great promise that Christ makes us in his gospel to those who have been cleansed in repentance is they shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
purified by the Spirit's sanctification, refreshed by the Spirit's comforts, and empowered by the Spirit's graces. You know, Jesus encouraged his disciples before his death, as he was approaching his death, with the promise of this filling that would come after the resurrection. He said, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, another one just like me. This, the, my spirit, the spirit that God is, the, our spirit will be in you, who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. Then after his resurrection, Jesus gave his disciples this command. He said, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about for John baptized with water, the baptism of repentance symbolized by water of cleansing. But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Some translations say you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit as fire, or there will be, there was water to cleanse and fire to him power, water to form, fire to fill. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The key word there being power, a miraculous force, explosive might, strength, abundant ability, power in action. Say it this way, our baptism of repentance gets us to heaven. The baptism of the Holy Spirit brings heaven to earth. The baptism of repentance gets you out of Egypt across the Red Sea. The baptism of the Holy Spirit gets you into the promised land across the Jordan River. The baptism of repentance gets you out of darkness and into the light. The baptism of the repentance gets you out of the kingdom of this world into the kingdom of God. The baptism of the Holy Spirit sends you back into the world as he is, and it's symbolized by fire. You know, there are 11 times in the book of Acts where believers received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Six times in Jerusalem and five times in Gentile cities, so we know it's not about a place. Seven times through the laying on of hands by other spirit-filled believers. Four times directly from the presence of God, so we know it is not about a person. Six times by Jews and five times by Gentiles, so we know it is not about a lineage. Three times accompanied with salvation and eight times at a later date, so we know it is a distinct and subsequent experience. Three times people spoke in tongues. Three times people prophesied. Twice there was evangelistic boldness. Twice people gave supernatural words of wisdom and knowledge. Once there was authority to cast out demons. Once there were healings. Twice there was supernatural joy and praise. Once there was rushing wind and tongues of fire. But every time... There was supernatural evidence and power every time. Jesus said to wait and receive this gift because he knew we would need power like Ezekiel prophesied, that he would put a new spirit in us, that we, he would cause us, literally empower us to be able to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and commandments like leading us into all truth and that we would do them or become them. We would be them. We would be his word in the earth. And so my invitation to you today, I'm going to get an object lesson. We'll be done in three minutes. I know I've kept you a little bit over time, but 
Y'all right out there? You seem, you, seem, uh, you seem a little, I don't know whether it's sleepy or troubled, but I pray that you're troubled in the Holy Spirit. You know, there are no second-class citizens in the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit is not a merit badge. It's not a VIP club. But John 3.34 says, God gave the Spirit without limit, without measure. And so the flip side of that is that the measurement or the limits going on are on us. And that's in no way to cast judgment. I, I have measured. I have limited. We've all measured. We've all limited. But God is given without limit and without measurement. And so this might have been your form before, a cracked and marred vessel. And when you were born again, when you went through the transformation process, the baptism of repentance in the name of Jesus, moved into his kingdom, you were given a new form. And you may have, at the beginning, been filled with some spirit, the Holy Spirit, because you confessed that Jesus was Lord. It says every confession that Jesus is Lord comes by the Holy Spirit. You might have received some freedom from addiction or from sin that ensnared you. You might have been started to see some fruits of the Spirit manifest in your life, love, joy, and peace, and patience, and self-control. You might have seen some wisdom and counsel and been led into some truth in the Scripture. You might have even seen one or two gifts of the Holy Spirit manifest. You might have received a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge. You might speak in tongues. You might have been, received a prayer language. You, you might have been moved with, with a word of prophecy for somebody. But what measurement, what limit have you put? I'd say if I was real honest, that's probably about where I am. This is what God intended. And it pours and pours and pours and pours without limit. Let's stand together. Just as a sign of faith, I pray that you just lift your hands to heaven. We want to pray. Prayer team, can you come forward? Heavenly Father, we, uh, we look back to the city of Samaria and see that it is, it was a city filled with great joy. And I long for that here. Lord, fill us Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Like Pastor Mike always says, around agape, refills are free. God, fill us. Lord, where we've put limits on you, where we've put measurement on you, where gifts or manifestations or fruits or hurts or different things where we've been unwilling or unable because of pride or rebelliousness or ignorance or hurt or wounds, wherever we've limited, wherever we've measured your Holy Spirit in our life, I pray, God, 
that those things would be removed, that you would fill us as you intended. Fill us to overflowing, Lord. God, that we might walk in every promise and in every measure of power, God, that you want to do through us, that our city would be filled with the joy of the Lord. Fill us this morning. We worship you. If you want to be, if you want to take the measurement and the limits off, I encourage you. I'll pray with you. Anyone on our prayer team will pray with you. But don't leave without being full. Full to overflowing.